All right, welcome to episode three of Down the Rabbit Hole of Heavy Metal Baseball, where we try to take high-level baseball subjects, break them down, talk about them, and uh, make them more accessible to everybody who is uh, interested in the game of baseball. So today, something we have a special guest, our first guest, uh, my mentor, the guy who taught me just about everything I know about baseball and been coaching for almost 50 years, is my father, Mike Fuller. Uh, sitting in with us today, and we're going to talk to him about what he has seen in his time coaching and playing, and what adaptations, what changes have been made, and what he's had to do or not do, or what he's looked at. So, starting off with simple biography. Tell us about your time in coaching and some of the things you've accomplished, uh, and some things maybe you wish you accomplished, but your, your basic 101 of you. Well, that kind of goes back a long way. I played baseball from the time I was a kid all the way through high school, but I really wasn't a very good player. Uh, then I finished my playing high school, went as far as I could go, which was what was in my senior year, and started after that for probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, I played men's fast-pitch softball which is a very competitive sport. Fast forward a few years and I have a family and I have children and they're playing baseball and uh, I'm going to their games and I'm going to their practices and uh, I see very little coaching, uh, just uh, dads just out there doing the best they can. And so I, I, I start coaching uh, basically in little league uh, do that for several years, coach some little league teams, some uh, select teams. Uh, my kids go to San Jacinto Christian Academy. Another guy and myself uh, got together and organized high school athletics and then coached for San Jacinto for 25 years or so. And I, I thought you started before that, didn't you? Coach in your twenties and before you had kids. I did. I did. That was that was kind of the disaster year that you want to forget about. <laughs> Glad uh, I can bring it up. We have to edit that part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, I I, th I thought I was coaching. I did. I did coach uh, before I had children for a couple of years. My brother and I did. Uh, it didn't work out too well because. <clears throat> Fortunately, we had enough sense at that time to realize that uh, we needed to mature a little bit more. <laughs> so one of the reasons, obviously, we're having you here is you've had to have some success because nobody wants to interview a coach who uh, who has never done anything or had any success. So although I know you're not comfortable with it, uh, kind of tell us, you know, the reason that you, know, you were successful. So tell us, tell us a bit of that success story, the guys you've coached, the guys – They've gone to the next level in that way, so we can add kind of an air of credibility uh, other than the fact that I just tried real hard for 20 years. Uh, well, you're right. I, I feel uncomfortable doing this because I, I really believe the games that uh, I had a part of winning is because I had good athletes. And it's been my, my observation that uh, players win games and coaches lose games. And I've seen that happen more times than I care to remember. Uh, there was some success uh, on the high school level. Uh, our teams won almost 400 games, a little bit shy of that. Uh, 
on the travel side and, and little league side, uh, probably been on the winning side a couple of hundred more. I, I know I've coached over 700 games uh, from little league travel and high school tournaments and stuff like that. So <clears throat> the one more games than we lost. Overall, our record was about every game that, that I coached would win about seven out of ten. <clears throat> uh, the real real success I think is that we've had some uh, we've had some kids that from the high school side about 20 of them went on to play at the next level. One of them went on to he's in the major league so it's always good to see a kid be successful and move up. And for what it's worth one of the reasons you're still sitting here because you haven't hung it up yet. No, no, no I, I still want to do keep coaching uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy the, the athletes and uh, the ability to, to, to take a kid and look at him six months later or three months later and, and see an improvement, uh, not only physically, but also uh, from an attitude and understanding aspect, from, from a mental aspect of it. So one of the things that over all these years of coaching is what you just mentioned. In your opinion, and this is, you can go as long as you'd like, how is it that you best connect with the player? We talked about uh, the first couple of years that I coached that I didn't have children, and so I didn't understand how children think. I was a 21-year-old guy uh, coaching 16-year-old kids, wasn't too far removed from the same age they were, and... I felt the best way to coach these guys was to be a Marine drill sergeant and just be as oppressive and hard as I, I could because I had seen some of that as a player. <clears throat> and some of that still exists today, not so much, but it, it did back then. And so the, the coach was the, absolutely the meanest guy on, on the field. And he could not let that demeanor down. So I, I tried that for a couple of years. Uh, that didn't work. And uh, rather than making the kids better ball players, I made them worse ball players. So you advance forward a few years after you have after you're a father, after you learn a little tolerance, after you learn a little everything. <laughs> Things aren't always just as black and white as you think they are in your mind. And you realize there's a better way for being than being a, a marine drill sergeant. And uh, it it took a while for that lesson to catch on. I would say <clears throat> uh, what kids athletes want to know more than any anything else. I don't think it's how mean you are, how tough it is you are. I, I really don't think it's how much knowledge that you have. Although they do want to coach and understands the game. But what they want as much as anything else is someone that cares for them. And if you can care for your athletes and they know that, you'll get better performance than if you're just difficult to get along with all the time. Yeah, I'm, that's one of the things I, I've, I've noticed that I admire about you the most is, like, even when you're not around, like, all, all your players call you pops. Uh, that's <laughs> relatively new, yes. Uh, that, that didn't happen until this year with the, the team that – that I started coaching last year, they, they hung that on me, but 
it's not offensive. It, I really do think it's a sign of respect, and uh, I, I feel like I feel like I, I've connected with them. Uh, you don't always with every athlete, but the ones that you do connect with, uh, it's a it's a special relationship. Yeah, well, like we have quite a few of your kids that, that come train with us at heavy metal and. That's that's something I hear all the time is they can't wait till summer ball and they're in the dugout with pops and and they love going on trips with you and that's that's something that I feel like you're really good at that's something that I would like to an area I'd like to grow in. <laughs> well, outside of that, going to a 50-year coaching career, and you want to you want a state championship in the state of Texas, right? right. At the high school. Level? Yeah, we actually we won two state championships. Uh, <laughs> at San Jacinto, so the last one being, between the first and the last one was a long time, uh, but it was just as sweet as the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's no small feat, especially the size of the state of Texas. It, that's true. Well, what, is, what, is, what has been the biggest change in coaching that you've seen from 21 years old to 72 years old now? And that's a big question, but what have you? What has been the biggest change that you have seen? Let me go back to when I was a kid, and that was a long time ago. And and I know that you have seen the movie Sandlot. There's a whole lot of truth in that in Sandlot. When when I was the age of those boys in Sandlot, that's what we would do. We would just find a vacant field anywhere we could, and we would play the game. Uh, we would change the rules. We'd make up new rules. If if you caught a ball, you got to hit. If you hit one past that trash can, it was a double. We never had nine players playing against nine players, five against six, six against three, whatever it was. <laughs> Uh, you you could pitch farther to one kid than you could another kid. So the, and nobody coached us, and we would do that for hours and hours each day. That's where we I think we really developed a really love for the game is that camaraderie that you had. The only people that excelled, as I look back at now. Were, were, I think were guys that were just natural athletes. Those were the guys, because there was no coaching. And the guys that turned out to be better players just did so because they were more athletic. When I first started playing organized baseball, uh, the gentlemen that coached me, and don't get me wrong, I thank God for them, they knew nothing. They were just dads with baseball caps out there with a bunch of kids. And I did not have a true baseball coach who, who played at a high level, who knew anything about the game <clears throat> until the time I got in high school. And that's why, and, and most of the kids did not. And I think that's, I really think now that that's one of the, re the ones that excel were just slightly more athletic than the rest of us because we didn't have coaching to help us get to the point that they were kind of getting to naturally. Now you look at it, the last 10, 15 years, any town of any size has a baseball academy. There's four or five baseball academies in Amarillo. There's guys that just 
they're not associated with the academy, but you can pay to get lessons. They would rent a cage, and it's lesson after lesson, teacher after teacher, from the time that they're very young until the time they graduate from high school, and even after that, they keep going. And you have this constant coaching and changing of coaches from the time that they first start swinging. Uh, and I, that's that. I think that's that's the the radical change there. Baseball is uh, when when I played, you played football, you let the air out of the football. You played basketball, you let the air out of the basketball at the end of the season, and then you played baseball. And now with some of these sports, with, with, with baseball, with volleyball, and basketball, you play them all year round. You play on teams in different towns from where you live and you travel. That's the biggest change to me, uh, is this full-blown explosion of coaching, baseball, uh, academies, uh, travel teams, and all of that's been introduced relatively quick. You think that's making the athlete better? That's a Gen generally speaking, yes. Generally speaking, I think there's probably guys out there that are now fathers and maybe even grandfathers that they played uh, a high level of baseball. Maybe they played a little bit after high school. Uh, maybe played a beat around the minors a year or two. There are more of those guys out there than there used to be. And so from a general standpoint, uh, yes, I, I, I do think that they're probably getting uh, better coaching. Well, one of the things I was hoping you'd lead into is the technology piece of this stuff, right? I would, I would assume that... Uh, you guys weren't real rampant using technologies in the 60s when you were playing baseball. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. So why, like, why do you think, uh, I mean, now, especially with, with technology, you've seen some of the stuff that we use. Like, why do you think some coaches are against using it? Why do you think they try to fight it? Uh, that's a really good question. It's a really hard question to answer <clears throat> because uh, we as a culture crave technology. Uh, and we're always looking for the next thing in technology. We have cars that will parallel park themselves. Uh, we're not too far from having uh, cars that will drive themselves. Uh, we're fascinated by it every, every year at Christmas, uh, the Christmas list of, of presents that have technology. You, you can put a watch on your arm that will give you your blood pressure and all kind of medical. So we're fascinated with it, except when it comes to this area. Uh, so that's a real hard question to answer. I, I think some of it is uh, just a natural tendency that people don't like change. And I, I think that they, they take it to excess because they will say things like, well, Babe Ruth didn't have technology and he still hit 60 home runs. And I think, well, maybe he would hit 70 <laughs> if he had some, how do you know? And you take these, in the baseball world, these heroes of the great, uh, all the way up to our time. I mean, technology is, is reasonably new. Uh, some of the young hitters nowadays in baseball, are more of them are, are, are gravitating that direction. 
but you know, guys, even as even young, what I would call a young guy, someone like a Derek Jeter, I don't know that he had that in his life, and he hasn't been retired that long. So it really is new. People have a tendency to resist what's new. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons, and I, I but I think the real reason is people probably don't want to put the effort in it that it's going to take to learn it, because it it's. Anybody can set a T on a ball and tell a kid to swing at it and say, good job. But to be able to take the technology that you guys use and spend hours analyzing it and spend a long time putting it together and coming up with a specific plan for each athlete either uh, to help with his uh, weaknesses, that's a lot of work, a whole lot of work. And I think a lot of people just don't want to take it that far. I've, I've told everybody to listen when I met Robert, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit in a dugout the first day. And, I, and I've said, I felt like I owed a, a lot of players I'd coached in the past letter of apology because I'd unintentionally been teaching them the wrong thing. You know, Robert's got the paper out about uh, swing path and backspin, you know, the swinging down on the ball and, you know, the, the effects of that. You read that paper and you go, man, I've been teaching some things wrong. And I think sometimes the technology piece intimidates because what if it invalidates everything you've been teaching? And you gotta go back and, and eat some crow and go, I'm, I'm sorry. And if you've set yourself up as a guru, you've set yourself up as a, the authority in hitting, I think that's a tough thing to come back or hitting or even baseball in general. Takes a, it's a very intimidating thing to have to come back and put your hand on the shoulder and go, listen, everything we worked on the last six months, we have to scrap that and start over. Uh, well, you can't teach what you don't know. Nobody's going to invite any of us in this room up to uh, MD Anderson Medical School and say, could you please explain how we open the brain for this surgery? Because we don't have that ability. Where's your hand? You, <laughs> you teach what you know. <clears throat> People have known and done the same things probably from the conception of the support, or at least till the third letter begin coaching, all the way up till within the last, what, 10 years, the technology. So all you have is this old stuff, and that's all you know, that's all you've taught. <clears throat> and, and you're right, and so now I've got to learn something new. It's gonna require a lot of work. Uh, I'm not a real computer savvy guy. Whatever reason you can come up with, uh, the fear of being wrong is certainly one of them because nobody likes to be wrong. And you throw all those in together and for that, for those reasons, technology scares people, some people, rather than excites them. I would, I would agree with that. Like, even something as simple as a blast sensor, like I've had to learn how to use Excel and how to manipulate through all those data sets and how to sync everything up properly. And it, it isn't like when you just buy you know, like a gimmick tool that you just have to know how to use the tool. It's, I bought a blast sensor, so I had to also learn all these other skill sets that came along with it. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. It, it, it's, it requires you to have to gain a lot more knowledge in different areas than just that one little piece. Yeah. Right, right. These, uh, and that's, uh, that's scary. And that's scary for people that say you're a 40 year old coach or 45 year old coach and, You've been doing things for 20, 25 years, and 
<clears throat> now all, all this is out there and uh, it makes you a little apprehensive. <coughs> well, to your credit, you didn't run screaming uh, when heavy metal baseball started talking about blast motion sensors and uh, hit tracks accounts and uh, even, you know, with us being onboarding track from driveline, uh, you know, in fact, you've, uh, you've said one of the reasons you, you want to learn more, you want to have a driveline, you know, it's at 72 looking to the driveline stuff so all the stuff that you've been exposed to what piece of this technology do you find uh that you're most interested that, that you find most interesting and, and would want to learn more about uh well everything that you guys that i've seen that you guys do that you've exposed to the athletes i i uh, not one of them excites me any more than the other i mean i like the hit tracks uh, the blast sensor, <coughs> excuse me, and I, w I would like to have a better knowledge of all of them. Uh, Robert was talking the other day, there's technology coming out for pitchers. That fascinates me to think <coughs> what they could do with pitchers and extend their arms and keep people getting hurt. Well, one of the things that, that I have been consistent about in my career is that, and, and, and demanding and expecting, is that uh, the people that play for me get better. But I've also been equally demanding of that myself, is that I get better too. And so the course of my career, I would, I would read books, I would watch tapes, uh, I would go to coaching clinics and do the very best that I could to become a better coach and know more about it. To me, this is just another step, just a higher step. Uh, it's part of it. If, if, you, if you want your kids to become better at playing and you're not willing to come be become better at coaching, uh, that's a mistake to me. So we never wrapped it up. We were, we before, <clears throat> Uh, we, had, we had to pause briefly. So you don't have a favorite, the hit tracks, the blast motion, track, pitch track, uh, pitch, uh, pro pitch AI. Edger. Edger. No, they, they, they all work in harmony, and they all give you, uh, if I just had to have one. Yeah. Uh, let's, try, let's, let's put it that If way. I just had to have one, and that's all I could have, uh, to start out would be the blast sensor, I think, <clears throat> because it... It gives you a lot of good information, and it produces that little three-dimensional video, <clears throat> which you can, you can see certain things in it. And it's a real good, easy beginning tool. Uh, I would like to master that and move on to another one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, it, you don't get a blast motion sensor, put one on your bat, and then you get good. It, no, it's, it's, it's exactly. not quite that easy. Right. <clears throat> That's just like the guys that go to the back to any major league game and put them on jersey that says Pujols. That doesn't mean they can hit like him. <laughs> well, as the game continually evolves, you know, you you, you know, you and I have talked the the use of term that was popular for a long time, the squash the bug, right? Uh, which was a, you know a cue that. Is not necessarily bad in and of itself, but led to some unintended consequences. Uh, 
what is uh, what validity did you see? Do you see these newer methods? When did you start understanding that some of these newer methods being taught in the game were valid? What what switch turned that on for you? Because fifty years of coaching, you have to relate to you know kids of all generations, and there's a great value in that. But like you said, you have to get better. You have to stay on top of what's happening in the game and what new methods are, are out there. Uh, I can tell you what made it valid for me. If I was to swing a baseball bat in front of you guys and said, how fast is that bat going? You would never guess it. You wouldn't. You might, you might, my, you probably couldn't tell the difference between me swinging a bat at 65 with just your eyes and your eyes only and, and 75. You just could not pick up on that. You just cannot. You, you can look at a player and say, man, he swings hard, but you can't tell me that he's swinging 75 or he's swinging 85. But now you have the technology that you can say what looks to be hard, that's because what it is, that's the only thing it is. It looks to be hard. It's not really hard. So we've taken everything out of just guessing. And we've, we've made it real. And when, <clears throat> when, it's, when it's, it's, it's documented, then the information becomes more real to you. And not only have you taken that with, with uh, uh, you can do that, but you've taken other things with your very uh, uh, high-speed camera and been able to break things down that the eye couldn't possibly see. I, I don't care how experienced you are. Some of those things you just can't pick up on without a little technological help. And so when I begin to see those things and I go, oh yeah, I can see that now. Oh yeah, he really is swinging the bat only 60 when, he can, when it should be 60. No matter how hard he thinks it was, it's still only 60 miles an hour. So it became real and became documented and then there be now we have something that we can work with. I think that's what kind of got me on the bandwagon. Um, so, with with all this technology, do you see like a downside to using um, some of the some of the like newer strategies in baseball, like using technology or optimizing everyone's swing for a home run, or or focusing more on analytics? Well. I haven't thought too much about the downside. There's almost a downside to everything. I, I don't want the game to become sterile. Uh, I don't want the game to be robots just playing the game, you know. And I told you, we were talked earlier about when me and my friends would go out to find a vacant lot and just have fun playing the game. Uh, I don't want to ever see that taken out of the game. And I, I don't think technology has to take it out of the game, but it, it's, I don't want, like I said, I don't want it to be sterile. I don't want it to be unfun. I don't, I don't want the kids to not to enjoy what they're doing. If you can keep that alive and not just become a clinic, uh, I, I think this is the direction it should go. Yeah, I do. I, I, I like that during a game, it's, it's, it's always unpredictable. And, and I feel like at times, like the trend with analytics and stuff, it, it's gotten to the point where you we're trending more towards we know exactly what's going to happen and, and it's like well if we know what's going to happen then why would anything that happens on the field surprise me anymore 
you know, I'm just watching the same game 162 times a season instead of, you know, watching plays develop that I've never seen before. That's true. Uh, we probably have the technology to do away with all umpires. It's certainly at the pro level because you've got the uh, money and the sophistication to be able to afford uh, a computer that calls a ball or strike and never be wrong. Uh, or a camera that records an out or safe and never be wrong. And so, uh, but really that would take a lot of fun out of the game, wouldn't it? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Human, that was human error is just, right. it's always been a part of the game. Right. And, and I, I, it's kind of hard on that side. I mean, you watch some of those old games in the 90s and you see the strike zones and you're like, good gravy, no wonder Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and those guys were so good. I mean, they could throw in the parking lot and be called a strike. Yeah. yeah. I think you take away some of the artistry of the catcher. Right, once you go robot umpires, there's no more artistry to the, the catcher, you know, being able to work with and to work an umpire. Oh, I remember we were training guys at, at spring training because we were telling them like in single A and rookie ball that pickoffs weren't allowed to first base. You had to actually step off. And so we were having this discussion whether we should just let guys get a walking lead because the, the, the pitcher can't get picked off. And if you get picked off from a, the guys having to step off, you're just a terrible base runner. Yeah, and I think any any person that's been around baseball for any length of time, uh, every once in a while you enjoy a good argument with an umpire, <laughs> and yeah. it's a little hard to to argue with it with a computer robot and take that completely out of the game. Yeah, that's the sad thing with with uh, with replay. You know, you get it right, is you don't get to see a guy like Bobby Cox <laughs> trot out there, and you know what's about to happen. You know, his record's safe. Bobby Cox, the, the being thrown out will never be touched now because everything just goes to replay. Well, you almost wonder where the line is. Like, where do you draw the line where we're going to allow human error in in this arena, but we're going to allow the computer or or Hawkeye or instant replay to make the decisions in this arena? I mean, I don't, I don't know. They they're, they're not asking us those questions. Yeah, you mean we don't get paid to do that? <laughs> Nobody I mean, cares what, what, what two Dilberts in Amarillo, Texas. Yeah, I, they haven't called me and asked me. When the commissioner calls me, I'll let you know we had a conversation about it. And I don't, I don't anticipate it anytime soon. But so you don't, you don't think that you're not on the bandwagon that the shift and trying to optimize for home runs are a detriment to the game of baseball. No, absolutely not. Uh, you've just taken tools that's available to you and you're trying to take those tools and, and incorporate them to making the athlete better and I, I can't see any difference than that than, than taking something and putting it on your car and, and trying to make you a better safer driver. That's a good analogy. You, you said you, you told me recently that you're reading um, was it Eugene Bleeker's book? Yes. Old, old school versus new school. What, what have you thought about that book? Uh, I think his book uh, his book kind of expounds some of the things I thought. He's certainly a, a, a technology guy, and and he advocates it, but he doesn't advocate it to. He advocates it and and promotes it, but not to the point to just disrespect and throw out everything that our grandfathers and fathers taught us, uh, and to have to be able to to take technology and still mix it in with uh, some old school philosophy and create uh, a program that's, that's beneficial from both sides of it. Um, so 
out of everything that you've seen in the game and, and what's currently going on right now, what aspect of the game do you wish was taught more? You mean from a uh, just all encompassing, like any, like any part of the game? Which part do you wish wish was taught a little bit more? I mean, it could be bunting, hopefully not. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, just anything. Like what oh, do you? Yeah, or of coaches being armed with what arsenal of knowledge? Yeah, like you you get you get kids that come up and play with you. Like what thing are you like, man? I wish I wish the kids we were taught this at the younger level, so I didn't have to go back and, and teach this thing. Well, that's that's. <laughs> I'm going to have to think on that. I have I have coached. I've helped Jared uh, coach, and that's my grandson. And so I've coached kids that were six years old, all the way up to kids that were 19 and 20 years old. So there's a, there's a there's a whole assortment of, of skills and emotions that. Of, of all different levels of players, it makes it a little bit hard to pinpoint. But once a person starts <clears throat> developing some skills, uh, I, I think I wish it was taught more that we're not going to try to hit the ball on the ground. <clears throat> because I've heard that for a long time. Uh, I don't think I ever bought into it. Well, I know I didn't buy into it. But <clears throat> it was one of those things that I just go, well, I'm not sure why that happens. It just happens. And now that I understand a little bit more over recently, over on plane, uh, on, on negative, positive angles and those numbers and what they mean, I have a better idea of what it means and get away from that. So I, I'd say if one thing, swing down the ball and try to hit it on the ground, I, I wish that would go away. It's, it's alive and well. Uh, yeah. It's alive and well. I know. I know. I know. Uh, we, it is. When we bring clients in, we ask, and we're not trying to, our intention is not to step on any coach's foot. Our intention is to see what the athlete knows about them swinging a bat or what their take is on it. And we ask, have you been taught to hit ground balls and swing down on the ball? And I would say better than 90% of the time, the answer is yes. Well, it's like I've been coaching for 50 years and I've never seen a ground ball leave the park. <laughs> The stat. We, we're working on the stat on that one as well. That is the valid point. Well, and you know, we've we and this will be a conversation. We go some more neuroscience stuff, but uh, you know, even the idea that you know going the other way with the ground ball on the ground where it has some value with hitting behind a runner. One of the things I've I've, I've wanted to know if I can control the outcome of the bat just like that. If I can on purpose put the ball right there when I want to then why not I just on purpose put the ball over the wall or against the wall? Well, I think it depends right. on, like, your athlete. You know, if you've got some of our kids that are five foot eight and can barely hit the ball 85 miles an hour, a poolside fly ball is not their best option. An oppo field ground ball is their best option. And, you know, I, I'm saying if we organize around this. What I'm saying, if I'm going to teach a skill set and I could teach a skill set, does that make sense? Yeah. If I could be that accurate with what I was doing with the bat, yeah. uh, then I would – well, why wouldn't I just reorganize them to, you know, hit a line drive on the shortstop's head? Uh, I, th I think we overload athletes when they get in the box. You know, again, that's chasing kind of a rabbit. This is called the, down the rabbit hole. So. Well, yeah, we, we had talked about that, um, that you go in there with your – or we, we pushed that theory that you go in there with a mental approach and then you're, you're just 
overloading the athlete and making his thought process longer and, and you already have a very limited amount of time to hit the ball and you're just making the entire basically highway to thought and action longer because they're having to process this whole mental approach you gave them to have at the dish instead of just reacting to the stimulus that happens. Well, we've got, I think we've got two or three kids in, in our academy that have said out loud that they want to coach one day. And then, of course, me and Robert <clears throat> both look at them and go, why? Uh, but if they're starting off, you know, these, these guys, they get out of high school in a couple of years ago, get a degree, and they get to be a coach. What advice would you give them? As they start coaching, which uh, means in you know some uh, some small down small town in Texas, taking on junior high volleyball, hoping one day to become a high school head head coach. The best counsel I could give a young coach is, you don't know it all, you're never going to know it all. No matter how many years that you coach. And you need to get that and get that behind you. <clears throat> you have to be open to change. You have to be open to your athletes. You have to be open to, uh, I'm not right all the time. I've seen so many coaches that <clears throat> they, they played baseball at a higher level. They played at college, uh, maybe played all four years in college and they became high school coaches. And quite frankly, they were just arrogant. And they thought that the world revolved around them, and it doesn't. The game, is, the game has changed from when it first started. It's changing. It will continue to change. And no matter how much success that you have, there's always someone that knows more. Someone, and, and take that opportunity to be humble and learn from other people and, and, other, and your own players. Uh, and not think the world revolves around you because you're a high school baseball coach because it does not. Yeah, that's one thing I think that's it's that's, I've tried to get better at is you can learn stuff from the guys you're teaching. And that's a very tough place because they're kids. But the way they see things and the way that they attack things, you know, because we use the idea of language and how we communicate with them, you know, it gets frustrating because they don't, they, it can get frustrating. That was a big thing, like you said, is even the guys you're playing with, that play for you or work with you, you can learn something from them uh, about how to be a better, about how to be a better coach. Because again, that's the person you're trying to get something out of. So that's, uh, that, that took me a very long time uh, to figure out that even though they're a 16, 15, 14 year old knucklehead, they, they, they can teach you something. They're the ones out there playing the game at that time and uh, there's things that that they know and sense that, that you might not see as a coach my whole point is you're just you're not <clears throat> you're not the brightest star that ever shown when you become a coach and uh, have a have a, a humble attitude about learning and 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 trying to get better and improve realize that you're not you're not the greatest guy that's ever played this game or coached this game Mr. Riggins, you got anything else? No, oh, that's, uh, that's good stuff. Uh, if you look down in the show notes, we'll have uh, the article that was written about Mike uh, so you can read a little bit more about him. Uh, but no, it's good stuff. Anything before we go? Well, God bless technology. <laughs> <laughs> All right.